Peace, peace. We are back once again with Masterminds with Brother Shamel. I'm your host, Brother Shamel, and I'm glad to be back with another episode. Um, as always, before I begin, I'd like to um, thank all of you who have been supporting Masterminds with Brother Shamel, those who are, are new to the podcast. Those who um, have been supporting me uh, for a long time and continue to support me, uh, I thank you all for your support, as always, because um, to quote the infamous Joe Budden, it starts and it ends with y'all. In terms of um, this podcast, keeping it going, um, the feedback I get is what keeps me going, and I thank each and every one of you. I especially want to thank those who have uh, reached out to me since the last podcast episode that I did shadow of death, a funeral story. And, uh, I'm glad that, um, I was able to get some laughs out, you know, and caught me in a rare personal moment where I was expressing a personal story, something that really happened. And, uh, you know, people, people, uh, hit me up and express how they really felt. They felt me with that one. Um, and got a couple of laughs about the story about the um the man uh performing at the funeral <laughs> so um you know i'm you know I, I i'm definitely appreciative of that feedback uh hey it happened it happened i'm not trying to throw anybody under the bus it's nothing personal but it happened man and i gotta speak from the heart so that was just me speaking from the heart and i'm glad people received it so with that, I'm going to um, also say that my interview with uh, Dr. Jose Pimenta Bay uh, will actually be postponed. It is postponed till July. Uh, we did have a schedule for the 20th of May. Um, Dr. Bay called me not called me. I'm sorry. He, um, sent me an email expressing that something came up. Um, and we will reschedule. We agreed to reschedule to July. The exact date has not been set, but I will keep you all posted. Um, trust and know we'll, we will make this happen. Um, and, and I look forward to that. So again, with that said, we're going to get into, the today's topic and that deals with divine interpretation um this particular topic was inspired by a conversation that i had with a good brother i had not spoken in, with in a while and definitely want to give him a shout out brother mitchell moore bay um he reached out to me um this is a brother who um you know, I got to watch, you know, grow in more science, young brother, um, very good brother. Uh, he's out there, um, in the Arizona area doing his thing, uh, with the martial arts and everything. So we had a great conversation and, um, without getting into detail, we got into the, the conversation about the Bible, um, just, relating to people 
Uh, and this kind of um, falls in line with what I talked about um, last week in reference to people of a Christian mindset. How can we have the conversation with uh, our Christian brothers and sisters uh, who may not fully grasp what it is we're trying to express because what we're expressing is definitely on a higher um, spiritual level. Um, you know, and that's not ego. That's just stating it um, as a matter of fact. And you know it because of the conversations you have with them and their um, inability to, at first, to grasp certain things that are in their Bible. You know, um, and you know me, you know, I go heavy into that. I'm an advocate of it. Um, you know, I speak about the book um, Bible Mysteries Revealed um, by Johann Wein, um, which is out of print. Um, very, you know, if you're going to find it, it could be very expensive. Uh, I've had people come to me uh, asking me if they could, you know, if there's a way I could get them a copy. Um, that's how hard it is to get. Um, but if you do come across a copy, it is highly valuable. And, um, I'm going to um, explore why today. But um, to set things off, as I usually do, I'm going to start off with a reading from the Circle 7. And I'm going to start um, by reading from Chapter 7 of the Circle 7. Um, and I will actually start with um, verse 13. Okay. So it says, man is the breath made flesh. So truth and falsehood are conjoined in him. And then they strive and naught goes down and man as truth abides. Again, Lamas asked, what do you say of power? And Jesus said, it is a manifest. It is the result of force. It is but naught. It is illusion, nothing more. Force changes not, but power changes as the ethers change. Force is the will of Allah and is omnipotent. And power is that will in manifest, directed by the breath. There is a power in the winds, a power in the waves, a power in the lightning stroke, a power in the human arm, a power in the eye. The ethers cause these powers to be, and thought of Elohim, of angel, man, and other thinking things directs the force. When it has done its work, the power is no more. Again, Lamas asks, of understanding what have you to say? And Jesus said, it is the rock on which man builds himself. It is the gnosis of the ought and 
of the naught, of falsehood, and of truth. It is the knowledge of the lower self, the sensing of the powers of man himself. So I'll just stop there. So I wanted to focus on the um, the subject of understanding, right? Understanding, you hear me say a lot, comprehension, which is the same thing. Um, you will hear people in um, the community, the conscious community, use terms such as overstanding, understanding, right? Uh, overstanding, which was made popular by Rastafarians and then later on um, by um, the teachings and writing was put heavily in the teachings and writings of um, Dr. Malachi York. He used the term overstanding um, quite frequently. Um, But we all, whether you use understanding, understanding, overstanding, it's it's basically in relationship to what we're speaking on here. Basically a foundation of comprehending something on a deeper level. Okay. So that said, um, in order to comprehend something on a deeper level, you have to have first a level of knowledge. You know, that's why they always say knowledge, wisdom, understanding, like in the nation of gods and earth. There's always knowledge before wisdom. You cannot have that understanding, understanding, or overstanding without having first a basis of knowledge, a basis of things that you already know. In order to comprehend, it has to be certain things. It's like in reading comprehension. When they say, when you um, um, have reading comprehension, comprehending uh, that which you read, whether it's a book, a poem, or whatever, you have to have knowledge of certain basic concepts and precepts in order for that understanding, that comprehension to be validated. It can't just be you. I can't understand computer coding if I don't know certain things about computer coding. You feel what I'm saying? So there, you cannot have that understanding without the knowledge first. So this is very key. Um, in the Bible, it says, my people perish for the lack of knowledge. So what does that mean? Without the knowledge, if you lack knowledge, you cannot get understanding. You have to know certain things. That's we have to be clear on that. The understanding of something is not uh, independent and void of knowledge. Okay, so to go further into that, let's go into chapter twenty-six of the Circle Seven which is holy instructions of unity. And we'll start with the first verse where it says the gifts of the understanding are the treasures of Allah. And he appointed to 
everyone his portion in what measure seemeth good unto himself. Have he endowed thee with wisdom? Have he enlightened thy mind with the knowledge of truth? Communicated to the ignorant for their instruction. Communicated to the wise for thine own improvement. True wisdom is less presuming than folly. The wise man doubted often and changeth his mind. The fool is obstinate and doubted not. He knoweth all things but his own ignorance. And I'll stop there. So here it's clear we're, we're looking into the aspect of the gifts of the understanding as treasures of the Most High, of the Omnipotent. And this gift of understanding is appointed in portion. So one person will not have the same portion of understanding as another. However, that portion is all for the benefit and you can grow in that measure of understanding. And that measure of understanding is when we speak of divine understanding, right? Understanding of the spiritual realm that entails sincerity, right? I give you an I give you an an example of what I'm talking about, and, and I, I referred to this before, and though I I don't normally like to always refer to movies. I think this is, this will kind of give a concept, and I'm saying it because it's fresh off my mind. It just came to me um, in the movie Doctor Strange, right? In the movie Doctor Strange, the arch nemesis—I um, forget his name, Calaglius or whatever—he gets access to a book, actually a page or two from a particular book, where he's allowed to access the um the dark shadow world and um this um energy that's able to consume all the worlds and to consume earth right now the the thing at the end of the movie and dr strange gets him right because it was all about the um i guess getting the uh going beyond time, beyond, uh, you know, and uh, going beyond life and death, right? He talked to him at the end where he got him, where he was able to conquer him and beat him. He said the warnings are after the rituals. So many, he said, you should read, you should have read the whole, in so many words, you should have read the whole book. Um, the warnings are after the rituals. The warning is after the rituals. The warning, in other words, the instructions on what to do, on how to make a thing happen. You don't get the warnings until after you read that. You don't get the warnings before. But he was letting him know that he didn't have the understanding of what he did. Though he knew how to do it, 
he knew how to summon this energy, this dark energy, supposedly. He didn't have the understanding of it. And it's the same thing even in the occult world. There are those who get into energy and other things and they'll tap into that. But do they have the understanding? Uh, it's like my father always says, of all things, get ye first an understanding. <laughs> he's always drilled that in me. He's, he's irked me. But I, no pun intended, I understand why he said it now, you know, um, because it is that understanding, that comprehension, that understanding, overstanding that is a foundation. It is the rock on which man builds himself. You have to have a firm foundation to which to build yourself spiritually. The gnosis of the ought and of the naught. Falsehood and of the truth. So you have to have that foundation and be clear on both. You have to be aware of all the aspects of both, the higher self and the lower self. Some people focus on just the higher self and they don't have a clear understanding of their lower self and their lower self will consume that's why the question is asked in the Moore's questionnaire um, uh, about asking the higher self. What did the higher self say to the lower self at one time when he met him? Where are you going, Satan? What was the answer that the lower self gave to the higher self? I'm going to and fro in the earth seeking whom I may devour. Right? So that is just an allegory in reference to that type of thing that your lower self has always said, like Satan, you know, and we're not looking at an actual character person with a pitchfork and horn, um, pitchfork and horns uh, on the head looking to get you. No, that is your own carnal self, you know, set to take reign over your life the carnal thoughts at any time, that lower energy, a lower vibrate vibratory energy. So knowing that we have to be clear on this and, uh, what we'll get into, we'll get into the different types of, um, uh, of interpretation when we talk about the scriptures, but what I want to do real quick, uh, since we're on the subject of more science, uh, one thing I was telling the brother is about something pertaining to Noble Jirali, the founder of the Moore Science Temple of America, who we affectionately refer to as Prophet Noble Jirali. I was explaining that he had a card. Um, we um, Moors who are in the Moore Science always call it the Egyptian Adept card, where he was he wasn't even. Um, calling himself Noble Jirali, he called himself Professor Drew. He called himself Professor Drew, the Egyptian Adept student. Um, this was when he was in Newark, New Jersey, before he moved to Chicago, Illinois. And you can actually look this up online and Google it. Um, but I'll read the essence of, of what's on the card. It says, I am a Muslim. Professor Drew is a man who was born with divine power. He was taught by the adepts of Egypt. I have the secret of destroying the germs of tuberculosis and cancer of the lungs in 10 to 30 days. Your lungs 
can command a very strict examination that the germs are entirely destroyed. Also destroy the germs of eating cancer, gout, rheumatism, lobago, heart trouble, female diseases, and serious affections of the body. Call at once adults and children to be relieved of your sufferings. If you have any doubt about my treatments, you can be healed before a dollar is paid with security. Through these divine treatments, there has been great success of contagious and long-standing diseases which have been cured in two to three days. I also give divine instructions and interpret the Bible from Genesis to Revelations. Also have 18 years of Christ's life that is silent to your Holy Bible for all those who desire to know more about Jesus the Christ, right? And then it gives uh, a price, right? So the reason for me even putting that into play and speaking on that is because basically what I'm trying to get um, let people know and what I was letting him know is that Noble Jirali, um did actually go into the Bible. Um, the Circle 7, uh, as I always mention, is contains, in essence, 18 years of the, in the story of Jesus missing in the Bible. Right? And, and then we actually went into that part in the Bible that speaks about it. So, if you go to the book of Luke, for those who have a Bible, you go to the Luke book of Luke chapter 2. And this is what I explained to the brother. You go to chapter 2. And you start at verse 41 and 42. It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem after the custom of the feast. That's in chapter two. By the time you get to chapter three, which is just the next chapter over. In verse 23, it says, and Jesus himself began to be about 30 years of age, being as was supposed, the son of Joseph, which was the son of Heli. Now, the question becomes, what happened between the ages of 12 and 30? Subtract 12 from 30, you get 18. That's 18 missing years. Okay? So, the Bible never speaks about those 18 missing years. Now, that's that should raise a red flag, but this is never taught in the church. They never taught this information. Why? This is actually by design, but that gets into a whole deeper subject matter. So I was explaining to the brother that this is the conversation. This is why it says um, in the introduction of the Circle Seven that these lessons are for all those who love Jesus. Because if you 
claim you love Jesus so much, wouldn't you want to know what happened between the, you know, the ages of 12 and 30 in his life to get more of an insight on his mission, you know, and we're not going to get into the whole conversation of whether Jesus is uh, an actual person that lived or allegory or archetype. We're just getting into the aspect of the conversation with our Christian brothers and sisters who do believe that he walked on this earth 2000 years ago. So again, what happened to the eight missing 18 years? And these numbers are all key. All three of these numbers are divisible by three, 30, 12, 18. Not only that, there are 66 books in the King James version of the Bible, which most Christians and people around the world have in the Roman Catholic church. There is 72 books, right? So there's extra books, (laughs) right? Um, And then in the Quran of Mecca, the great Quran of Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, there's 114 surah or chapters, right? 114, 66, 72. Again, all divisible by three. There's no coincidence. What are the three major Abrahamic religions? Judaism, Christianity, Islam. There is no fourth. You understand? Like, this is very key. Abraham, or Moses, I should say, Jesus, Muhammad, which are the three main characters of each of those religions. Moses, Jesus, Muhammad. Right? All in three, trapped in the level of three. Person places things. Height, width, length. Solid, liquid, gas. Right? Man, God, devil. <laughs> you got to say, man, woman, child. Knowledge, wisdom, understanding. Faith, uh, um, believe, faith, fruition. Wisdom, will, love. We keep going on. Everything is designed within the three, the law of three, as always. You keep A, B, C, easy as one, two, three. It always goes that way. And the reason why it opens up the door for you to get out beyond from the three to the nine, eventually from three to seven and nine. Um... But that's a secret science they won't tell you. Okay? But the point of it is, what I'm saying here, in that, is that we can have this conversation. You know, that Holy Trinity, Father, Son, Holy Ghost, all that stuff. Why the Holy Trinity? Again, keeping you locked in three. Right? Um, That is the key. Three is the magic number. Going back, this is the conversation that we can have uh, with our brothers and sisters. And I'm going to get more on the other half about the Kabbalah uh, and other aspects as far as divine interpretation 
of scripture because we need to know that um, the book a lot of people blame things on the book when it's not really the book it's how the book was used the bible was used as a tool all these things are tools keep in mind as I always say with a hammer you can build a house or you can crack somebody in their skull it depends on how you use the tool Um, you can use fire to warm up your home or you can burn the house down it depends on how you use the tool so the bible was always has been looked at by many people throughout the years as a tool of um, control, destruction. Religion has been used as a tool, enslavement. But that same tool can be used to empower and uplift and transform you if you know the methodologies. And we'll get into that in the next half. I'd like to read a section um, from the book Bible Mysteries Revealed to kind of give some insight in um, what I'm actually uh, speaking on in, in terms of the context of this divine interpretation. So I'll read and it says here. In the ancient hermetic wisdom written by the master Hermes Trismegistus is a paragraph explaining God and gods. He says, there is one supreme urge, one first supreme unit, the one called deity, who only creates the ideas and patterns He assigns these patterns to a lesser deity called a Demiurge, who could be likened to a general manager. And he, in turn, has seven managers or workmen called the seven Elohim and also the seven spirits before the throne who do the actual work of creating. One of the secret teachings of the ancient Hebrews and Gnostics was that the creator created creation through the medium of his ministering spirits. Quote, And the Elohim said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Unquote. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26. And that is why the word gods is used in the Bible. The Elohim were called gods by the Hebrew writers. We must remember we are studying a Hebrew Bible. In the Bible, there are many grades of beings above man, such as angels, archangels, cherubim, Elohim, etc., Rabbi Tratner says the scribes of the northern kingdom of Judea wrote the first chapter of Genesis and the scribes of the southern kingdom wrote the second chapter. 
That is why the word Elohim is used in the first chapter and Jehovah in the second. They are both accounts of the one creation. Now, I just want to say that's according to a particular rabbi uh, that is not confirmed fact. But I'll continue on. It says in the Hebrew Kabbalah, you will find a detailed system of creation. But in a volume of this size, only a sketch can be given. Anyone who wishes to pursue the subject further is referred to the bibliography in the back part of this book. Here is a sketch taken from a Hebrew book illustrating the system. Then it has in all capital letters, the Demiurge, and then you'll see God in a box, and then um, drawing lines, the seven boxes, each with a G on it. And then it says the seven Elohim, the seven spirits before the throne, seven creative spirits, the seven gods. The ancient philosophy of the seven, sacred seven is mystically stated in many different ways. There are seven notes in the musical scale, the union of the primary colors of red, yellow, and blue, and the four secondary colors of orange, green, indigo, and violet produce white, which is a symbol of deity, the one. Only four secondary colors can produce can be produced from the three primary colors, making seven in all. The Hebrew word for creator is a seven-letter word comprised, composed of three vowels and four consonants. J, which there was no J in the original Hebrew. It was actually Y or Yad. H, V, H. And that V can also be a W, which is Wa. J, H, V, H are the consonants. Oh, yeah, the consonants and E, O, A are the vowels. When the, when the vowels are added, you get the word Jehovah, a word considered so sacred by the Hebrews that only a rabbi was allowed to, to pronounce it. And then only once a year, it is their word for God. So I'll stop there. And the reason why I want to get into that, um, I wanted to touch on that uh, a couple of things. One, um, it speaks here about the Demiurge. Now, I know there are uh, quite a few people who are into the occult sciences and, you know, things of metaphysics. And they'll, you know, I've seen videos and things where they'll talk about the Demiurge. Some will even say, oh, man, you know, you know, we're all controlled by the Demiurge and like as if the as if the demiurge is a demonic monster. Oh, you pray to Allah, that's a demiurge, and all oh, these are demiurges, y'all. You know, it's not that it's not that spooky. So when you get into the etymology of demiurge, you get into the Greek word um, um demiurgos, right? Which is translated as craftsman, but it comes from two words. Um demioso demos. Uh, demios is public, which comes from the word demos, which means people, and ergos, which means working, right? So, public working, or the public worker, right? Or it could be the people worker. 
Now, also in Greek mythology, you have what's called demigod. Like Hercules is considered a demigod as opposed to a god, which is another way of saying a god-man, which means he's a he's he's part god, right? Part divine, part human, right? He's he that would be almost like your Jesus archetype where he was born of a human mother but you know supposedly of the son of the the divine father right same concept so the aspect of the higher self of the lower self that's really what it's speaking about the spiritual part of you and the carnal part of you now the the public worker or the people worker um particularly denotes that this particular deity is that deity that is responsible for creating crafting man in the Morris questionnaire the question is uh is the devil created in the image and likeness of Allah? The answer is no. He is a shadow of our lower selves and will pass away. And we talked about the shadow, right, before. The shadow, the shade. In the last episode. And then it said, who created the devil? Elohim. Who is Elohim? Elohim is the seven created spirits that created everything that ever was, is, and evermore to be. Now that thing gets into the craftsman, a thing, right? Not every place, not every person, not every being, but everything that ever was, is, and never more to be, right? And we also know in Circle 7, particularly when we get into um, the aspect, I believe, of chapter... Uh, was it chapter 10 yeah chapter 10 no chapter 11 I'm sorry I take that back chapter 11 where it says from Allah's own record book we read the triune Allah breathed forth and stood seven spirits before his face the Hebrews called these seven spirits Elohim and these are they who in their boundless power created everything that is or was these spirits of the triune Allah move on the face of boundless space and seven ethers were, and every ether had its form of life. These forms of life were but the thought of Allah, clothed in the substance of their ether planes. Men call these ether planes the planes of protoplast, of earth, of plant, of beast, of man, of angel, and cherubim. These planes with all their teeming thoughts of Allah are never seen by eyes of man and flesh. They are composed of substance far too fine for fleshly eyes to see. And still they constitute the soul of things. And with the eyes of soul, all creatures see these ether planes and all the forms of life. Because all forms of life on every plane are thoughts of Allah. All creatures think and every creature is possessed of will and in its measure has the power to choose and in their native planes 
all creatures are supplied with nourishment from the ethers of their planes. And so it was with every living thing until the will became a sluggish will. And then the ethers of the protoplast, the earth, the plant, the beast, the man began to vibrate very slowly. The ethers became more dense and all the creatures of these planes were clothed with coarser garbs of flesh, which men can see. And thus the coarser manifest, which man called physical, appeared. And this is what is called the fall of man. But man fell not alone for protoplast and earth and plant and beast were all included in the fall. The angels and cherubim fell not. Their will were ever strong. And so they held the ethers of their planes in harmony with Allah. Now when the ether reached the rate of atmosphere and all the creatures of these planes must get their food from atmosphere, the conflict came. And then that which the finite man called survival of the fittest became a law right and it goes on and on so my point in reading that portion in chapter 11 of the circle 7 is to let it be known when we speak about these Elohim and these ranks of these angels is mentioned in the Kabbalah because um, there are various ranks and I speak on that in my book um, who is Elohim specifically when I talk about the Kabbalah and one of the things I want to say um, in reference to that um, when I when the question is asked in the book where do Elohim fit within the hierarchy of angels right the answer that is given in, in the book is that within the esoteric teachings of the ancient Hebrews there is a recognized hierarchy of angels Elohim occupied a seventh rank within the ten classes of angels as described in the Kabbalah. Elohim correspond with the Sephira, that is, enumeration known as Nizak, meaning eternity or endurance. The origins of Kabbalah actually go back to ancient Kemet, right? And you can refer to a book um, called The Kemetic Tree of Life, Ancient Egyptian Metaphysics and Cosmology for Higher Consciousness, by Muda Ashby. So the hierarchy of angels was documented in a writing entitled Mesna Torah, which is repetition, Hebrew for repetition of the Torah, um, by a man known as um, Moses um, Maimonides, right? Or Moshe ben Maimon, right? Who was born in um, Moorish Spain, Cordoba, Spain, under the Moroccan Empire, the Almoravid um, dynasty in 1135 AD. So he was taught by the Moors, right? And in his book, Guide for the Perplex, on the subject of Elohim, he stated, quote, I must premise that every Hebrew knows that the term Elohim is a homonym and denotes God, angels, judges, and the rulers of countries, Okay which ties in fact to key 38 of the Morris questionnaire where the question is asked, what is an angel? An angel is a thought of a law manifested in human flesh. So the Elohim is always referred to as a divine council. Now, um, one of the things I want to get into 
in terms of um, the Kabbalah even more so um, since we're on the subject and you can also go back uh, I encourage everyone to go back and check out um, part of my series which I may um, um, go back and you know pick up where I left off as far as that series um, but check out my series on the Kabbalah I may go back and pick up and continue on with that series in the podcast later on. But specifically, there is what's known, um, the term uses parties, which is the approach of biblical interpretation within the Kabbalah, right? So that's P-A-R-D-E-S, right? Now, here's the thing. It's very important to um, grasp because we're getting to the subject of divine interpretation and what I spoke about, what um, Noble Drali, Prophet Noble Drali spoke about in his Egyptian Adept card. Parties is an acronym which actually um, for four letters, the, the A and the E are just vowels that are added to create a word to it. But it denotes four, um, each of those letters, the P-R-D-S stands for a word. So I'll just go into that. So the first one is Pishat, which means surface, literally means surface or straight, which denotes a literal meaning of the scriptures. Um, particularly, they, they specifically the Torah. Right, keep this in mind. It is mainly focused on the Torah, but this could be this applies to all Hebrew literature, all of the scriptures. And the R is remes, which is hints, which literally means hints, which denotes um, allegorical or hidden or symbolic meaning. Right? Then there's darash, and darash means to inquire. Right, the inquire or seek, which is the comparative meaning, right? So you so you get from the allegorical to the comparative, where you compare um, what you read in that text with other texts or other things that go around to make a um, informed conclusion. And the S is sod which literally means secret or sod. I should say it's, a, it's um, not sad, but sod, right? Sod, which means um, secret or mystery. So that is your esoteric mystical meaning, which they say is given through inspiration or revelation, right? So what's important is that those four methods of reading scripture or approaches to reading scripture coincide with the four worlds that I spoke about um, pertaining to Kabbalah, the four spiritual worlds of Kabbalah, which is Atziluth, Baria, Yezera, and Asiya. 
I see it being, of course, um, the realm of formation, which is the lowest vibration. So that would coincide with Peshat, right? Remez, which is the allegorical, would coincide with Yetzirah. Then Darash, which is the comparative, would coincide or correspond with Beria. And lastly, Sod would uh, coincide and compare, uh, be comparable to Atzeluth, right? So this is the law of correspondence. And also this ties back to the Tetragrammaton, which is the Yad He Wahe, right? When we spoke about that in the Bible Mysteries, even though they use J and V, it's really Yad He Wahe, right? Which would be Yahuwah or Yahweh in that context. So that's within the Kabbalah. Now, another interesting thing that we find is that in the great Quran of Muhammad, peace and blessings be upon him, the holy Quran of Mecca, you will find a particular verse. Um, it is in the third surah, surah al-Imran, right? And the seventh um, verse, you know, ironically, law governs all events. That's your three and seven, Right? It's nothing strange. In three and seven, as we dealing with the tri- we, as we talked about the triune law and the seven Elohim, the triune deity, right, and the seven created spirits, there is a particular three seven. There's a particular verse that talks about the the types of verses in the book known as the Quran, Al Quran. So what I'm going to do is first read the Yusuf Ali version. Then I'm going to read, or yeah, the Yusuf Ali translation. Then I'm going to read the translation by Muhammad Salwa. So in the Yusuf Ali translation, it says, He it is who was sent down to thee, the book, speaking to Muhammad. In it are verses basic or fundamental they are the foundation of the book. Others are allegorical. But those in whose hearts is perversity follow the part thereof that is allegorical, seeking discord and searching for its hidden meaning. But no one knows its hidden meanings except Allah. And those who are firmly grounded in knowledge say, quote, we believe in the book. The book, the, the whole of it is from our Lord, unquote. And none will grasp the message except men of understanding. That's in the Yusuf Ali version. In the translation from Muhammad Sawar, it says, It is God who has revealed the book to you in which some verses are clear statements and these are the fundamental ideas of the book while other verses may have several possibilities those whose hearts are perverse follow the unclear statements in pursuit 
of their own mischievous goals by interpreting them in a way that will suit their own purpose. No one knows its true interpretations except God and those who have a firm grounding in knowledge say, quote, we believe in it. All its verses are from our Lord, unquote. No one can grasp this fact except the people of reason. Okay. Now, this is very interesting because at first reading, people people may say, and this has been the sentiment of, you know, those of the orthodox uh, sect within Islam saying, okay, then, you know, you're not supposed to try to seek mystical meanings of these verses, you know, at all. You know, you're not supposed to go here and look at, you know, get an understanding of that or you know, wish to even get that, receive that at any point, you know, don't even, don't even worry about that, you know, cause that's, that means that your heart is perverse, but in the whole context, again, this is reading comprehension. You realize that it's saying that the ones whose hearts are perverse only follow part of the book. They only follow the part of the book that is allegorical, thus discarding the basic fundamental part that are clear for the purpose of creating meanings to suit their own mischievous um, purpose, their goals, their own, you know, in pursuit of their own mischievous goals to suit their own purpose. Because by doing that, then they could... Uh, find exemption to the basic foundation of the book which holds them accountable to certain things by saying you know and that's what happens in in religion where someone will come up and all of a sudden you know say they're a prophet or they're the second coming or whatever and and you hear them teach they totally disregard the basic fundamental teachings within that creed, that divine creed, those tenets. Uh, and they do it on the basis of, oh, we only follow this part. You know, y'all, you know, that that has nothing to do with it. There's certain Christians who will disregard certain parts of the Bible by saying, okay, well, Jesus came and, you know, he did away with that. He did away with the law. And, he, et cetera, et cetera. and there's nowhere where he's, where you'll find it in the Bible where it says Jesus did away with the law. He said, I come not to destroy the law, but to fulfill it. So we have to have, you know, clear conception of that, you know, and then, you know, that verified what I'm saying by, it says those who are firmly grounded in knowledge said, we believe in the book. The whole of it is from our Lord. Right. Meaning they believe in the entire, they have faith in the entire book, not just a part of it, in all of it. So if you have faith in the allegorical, in all of it, you have to have faith in the allegorical as well. And that doesn't mean that the allegorical uh, uh, understanding of it, right? Interpretation of it, you can't receive. Again, that is that measure of understanding, which is the treasure of Allah, is appointed to you, right? Right? is appointed to you that divine interpretation is 
appointed to you, is given to you from that divine source. So, but again, as I mentioned earlier, you have to be sincere in heart. The perverse in heart won't get it. The sincere in heart will receive. It trusts blessings are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. That's the whole that lets you know where we're coming from with that statement. You have to be meek, you have to be humble, you have to be sincere in your intent of wanting this spiritual information. And the purity in heart opens the way for love. The perverse in heart will cause harm. You know, you'll use this knowledge for harm. And that goes back to that um allegory or that um that um comparison about the um the Doctor Strange movie, you know, where it is the 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 mindset and the personality of a person who can take that powerful knowledge and information and use it for destruction when it can that same knowledge can be used for good. And even in the end of that movie, um, Mordo, ironically, who was a melanated brother, Mordo, Mordo uh, had a disagreement with Doctor Strange altering the um, the laws of nature or violating the laws of nature. But supposedly in the movie, he did it with the intent of saving the planet. So he used the same methodology, but he used it to help people because that was his intention the whole time to help others. So just putting this in context in reference of divine interpretation, when you read all scriptures, whether it's Bible, Quran, um, back the Veda, um, the Vedas, um, the Upanishads, the Avistas, all these different texts, um, you will find the commonalities on an esoteric level if you're sincere and want to seek the truth because it all comes down to the one, the one divine source and everything else is just expressions from that one. So, you know, the key to it all, again, you know, is that sincerity. And with that, we can have that communication with our brothers and sisters of other faiths and get to the truth because truth is but one. And with that, I say peace and love.